0: You're listening to Web Suasion Conversation, Episode 12. Welcome to the show. I am Ryan Williams, president of the Web Suasion Group and Kapoka Studios here at Pinewood Atlanta Studios in Fayetteville, Georgia. Today on the show, we have Dara Brustein. She's going to talk to us about her upcoming book, as well as previous books on financial literacy for kids, networking events that work, and her Life by Design, Not by Default conference. So on the show today, Dara talks about the importance of education and her masterclass. Here at Kapokas, we produce digital courses for entrepreneurs who want to take their experience to scale. So a lot of business owners and solo entrepreneurs have spent decades learning their business, their trade, figuring out their niche, and they have a lot of knowledge that they've acquired over that time. So oftentimes, they find themselves wanting to teach this to up-and-coming entrepreneurs in their industry. A lot of times, they'll start out by doing one-on-one consulting, kind of like a business consultant. But that is obviously limited by their time and their locality. And then they'll transition to teaching at live events, which definitely expands the amount of people they can reach in a certain amount of time. But it's limited by region, and you have location cost, and it's specific to a date, so everybody has to be able to be there on that date. So the big trend for educational entrepreneurs has been towards digital teaching, which allows them to scale somewhat infinitely online. The process for digital courses is we take your concept and we break that into several weeks, build modules and we bring you in and produce pre-recorded video, audio, slides, downloadable PDFs, put that into a entire course structure online, all the while building up a social media presence and then we push your educational prospects into a free webinar, which gets them into your marketing stream, gets them signed up for the course, and then we help you manage the course through the process. And the nice thing about digital courses is you launch them once, and then you launch them again, and then you launch them again, and then you launch them again, tweaking along the way, making little improvements, but essentially you're releasing the same content over and over again to new groups of people each time. That's scalability. If that's something you're interested in or know someone who might be, have them contact us. You can contact me here at info at websuasion.com. That's I-N-F-O at W-E-B-S-U-A-S-I-O-N dot com. So now let's talk to Dara Brustein. Dara, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about your background. Uh, you started a company, Equitable Payments, with your twin, right? Is yes, that? exactly.
1: So, did your homework.
0: How did that start?
1: <laughs> that started after I had been laid off three times and feared foreclosing on my house. What, after. Were you
0: do- what were you doing before that? I was
1: in the fashion industry as well as high-end home audio video sales. I was a personal assistant. I did a lot. I was wow. the person who came out of college in 2006, and the economy soon tumbled into disaster. (laughs) Yeah,
0: you had it just at the right time. Yeah,
1: so I had come out thinking, I'll do the thing that I'm really passionate about, which was fashion, as silly as it sounds, and started my career in that wholesale world. And hit a three-year goal for sales in 10 months and thought, oh, this is all going really well. And then I was actually not enjoying it. I was unhappy and the company went under subsequently. Right. So it sort of pushed me out of the nest anyway. And then I sort of had a similar trajectory for the next couple of years where I would get take a job, I would put my heart and soul into it and the company wouldn't be doing well because of the state of the economy right. and they would lay everyone off. So. That kept happening over and over, which is why when my twin brother came to me in 2009 and said, hey, I have this idea to do a brokerage model in the credit card processing industry. I think we should do this. I at first didn't pay attention at first, admittedly. I was like, that sounds tremendously boring. Why are you asking me to do that? And then when I actually thought about it, I was like, this this could be really great and that was 10 years ago
0: okay so he well, he was already working in that industry and he saw some opportunity minorly
1: or? he was okay. at the time right before that working in contracted sales for major enterprises okay. and tangentially found his way into what merchant services was and then dug deep into learning what the industry was about and found that there was this undiscovered niche of taking the brokerage model that was tried and true in other financial services arenas and applying it there. So he had been doing his homework, his due diligence, and had even created a bit of a skeleton crew and said, come out of San Diego, check this out. So I did, and then you know, made a decision shortly thereafter.
0: And that's been the base from everything you've built. Exactly. Since. That's been the foundation. So what was your role in that company? Were you We were marketing? co-founders
1: and I did all of our biz dev and sales. Okay. He's the behind the scenes guy.
0: He was doing the tech and then you were out there selling yeah, it. He
1: was Mr. Ops behind gotcha. the scenes.
0: Okay. And how big of a company is that? Is it it's still going? It still it? goes. We're in 38 yeah. states. Nice. All right. And then, so what made you decide to write a book then? Was that the next step?
1: Well, so next, it came third in the trajectory, but it's an important one to talk about since we're talking about yeah. the fall of the economy globally. Sure, Because sure. that's what inspired it. I remember being a kid in high school and my mom coming to the school one day and saying to the guidance counselors, this was a 2000 person uh, public high school in Baltimore. Okay. And she said, I wanna come volunteer during health class and teach the kids about financial responsibility because they're all about to go to college. This was when checks were a thing. She's like, I don't think anyone knows how to write a check. They don't understand banking. No. They're going to get credit cards. They're going to have student debt. I want to teach them that's just because she knew it was important and it's not what she did for a living. She just wanted to help. And they said No. And I hmm. remember that sticking with me. And I'm thinking, they're teaching us about chlamydia and tiramisu and pillowcase sewing, <laughs> but they're not teaching us about the thing that's going to underpin everything else in our lives, which is our finances. Right. And so when the economy fell apart, and I had gone to Emory, which is what brought me to Atlanta, and in my mind, I was like, oh, everyone here is like pretty wealthy and they must be doing fine. But they were constantly coming to me in the 2006, seven years, right before the recession, right when we graduated, saying, how are you living without debt? How are you making a third of what we're making, which was true, and you don't have this financial stress and pressure? And I was so confused and thinking, you're making six figures, you're 22, 23 years old, like where is all your money going? And I realized at that time that the way that I was raised was unique, that my parents were super diligent and proactive about teaching us financial responsibility lessons, whereas apparently a lot of other people weren't getting that memo. So when I watched everything crumble, I thought, how do we intersect at a more malleable moment in people's lives when they're young and they're learning? Right. As opposed to when you're trying to retrain a bad behavior later.
0: So what what about your parents? What was their background? What, what made them so financially, you know, focused?
1: When we're Jewish. <laughs> 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 But actually my mom is a lifetime entrepreneur and my dad is an executive in the financial services world. So it was this perfect little hybrid.
0: Gotcha. And they, from the very beginning had you with a checking account. We were doing
1: Roth IRAs at 18. We were doing family dinners talking about in middle school, what are you going to invest in, in the market? Here's money. You have to prove it to me. Why we were doing everything from giving to saving to budgeting. Like it was all
0: happening. Were you getting into like value investing at that? We were doing all sorts
1: of stuff. my mom at that time and even till now was a real estate investor so we've been learning about that and we were learning right. about compound interest and we knew a lot more than your average 10 year old.
0: <laughs> well did you see the, the downfall coming like a lot of people did? It was I didn't. Completely- I was
1: just I think like most 22 and 23-year-olds where I was kind of in my own little world trying to make stuff happen. And it's all good. <laughs> I ended up getting a house at 23 because I had a restraining order against my landlord and I was afraid to have another landlord. And so even at that time, I was just so focused on my own financial stability and my own situation right. that when that happened, it literally happened. I lost my first job three months after I bought that house and then the collapse began shortly after because I bought September 07, Yeah, worst time ever. Which, we
0: bought in October. Yeah,
1: couldn't have known. Yeah. You, you know, you play the cards you're dealt the best you yeah. can, but. You know, I, I didn't see it coming and even now there's been moments where I'm like oh I feel like it's on the horizon but it's gone longer in this positive upswing than I expected but you know even if you talk to economists they never get it right either right
0: right right <laughs> well so what happened with the book so did, did the schools end up adopting that or well I
1: never brought it to schools reason went being direct to I went direct to consumer after butting my head against a lot of walls because my initial plan of action was go straight to the banks and the financial advisors and wealth right. managers and have them give this as gifts to the parents to institute early into their homes and also demonstrate and model that they had this vested interest Mm -hmm. in the next generation as well as hopefully get a client-for-life loyal relationship. What I learned through a year and a half of doing this and getting to the top of every one of those institutions was they're highly regulated, highly conservative, and they can't do that. So at that point, I realized nonprofits weren't the right angle because they wanted me to be both sides of the food chain, both the person who was going to find the grant to get it funded and the person who created the product. So Mm -hmm. I was my own entire food chain or I could go to schools, but that became tricky too because then there's a whole value system of teachers don't feel comfortable, what's the home life like? How is this gonna get translated out of the classroom into the home? And that became its own challenge, so I just went to direct to consumer.
0: When you went through that process, did you find out through the schools that they're, I mean, did they specifically say, this is why we don't teach even just basic, like, accounting, like, debit credit, keeping your checkbook, whatever sometimes, it is. Yes. I mean, is it just...
1: Sometimes, no, it depended. Like, I would personally go and gift books to schools and go speak and read with the kids, yeah, and yeah. sometimes I would talk to the teachers, or I have a lot of friends who are in education, either teachers or on the legal side or administration, and a lot of them told me some of these truths of, we understand it's important, it doesn't fit into to the curriculum teachers feel ill-equipped how do we get this into homes when and get it to be translated outside of the classroom when oftentimes you know one home is using ebt and another home is living totally fine and everything is good and so it became this tough thing for them to understand what's the foundational element which in my opinion is very easy to make it values free right. and just teach some basic lessons around financial responsibility sure However, they just clearly weren't there. And and don't get me wrong. I'm sure that there are schools in the United States of America that are comfortable doing that. I just didn't find them.
0: Right. Definitely in this area, we've always seen that to be the case. Um, They never teach anything about that. So the book, did you self-publish or did you? I did.
1: I self-published my first book after spending six months researching the two options. I'll be traditionally publishing my second book. And I think for anyone who's wanting to be author it's really important to do that homework and figure out what are your goals. For me, with the kids' book, it made sense to self-publish because I wanted to wholly own the intellectual property. Right. Because I wrote six books and I wanted it to be the baby Einstein of financial literacy. And I will say of all my endeavors, this has been the least fruitful from a like actual performance standpoint. Mm-hmm. And for me, that meant cartoons, board games, video games, everything. And to right. do that, it would be a lot harder if a publisher owned some of those rights versus with my adult book that I'm writing now That will be traditionally published, and it doesn't have the same amount of need for all the intellectual property.
0: What's the topic on the adult book?
1: Designing your life, building a business to fund it, and a network to support it. I know we're going there. (laughs) Yep, we're heading
0: that way. So is that the Life by Design program yeah well before we get to that how did network under 40 and all that factor in? i'm I'm assuming that there was a a, a gradual growth into what Mm -hmm. you're doing now from those
1: exactly different
0: efforts so tell me about that so
1: about two years into running equitable payments of the 10 years it's been i had a friend from emory move back to atlanta from law school and she said to me i don't know where to go to make friends after college everywhere i go i feel like everyone's my parents age i'm getting hit on i'm getting sold to or it's just a big sales, or like it's all the same people in the same industry. Right. And she said, I just wanna know where to make friends and peers and not feel any of those things. And I thought, well, my favorite thing in the world and the thing that I think I'm best at is connecting people. So I said, I don't know where that place is. I've been deeply entrenched in the Atlanta networking community growing my credit card processing company, and I've not seen it, so why don't I start it for you? And that was March of 2011, and the okay. first event had 94 people, and the energy was electric, and they basically just said, do it again. And month and this, after, is, this
0: is pre-meetup and all that, yeah, too, right? I mean, I mean this yeah. was,
1: we just kind of like cobbled, I cobbled it together and just invited everyone I knew and told them to tell people and just made it clear, this is none of the things that we described we were looking for right. it not to be and set the culture that way. And so month after month, people just kept saying, please do another, please do another to the point where I was like, people are paying me to come to this. They're begging me to keep doing it. I have venues asking me to host them. I have sponsors coming to the table. And then out of nowhere, Inc. Magazine showed up to an event without telling me. I didn't even know they were there when they were there. And they ended up publishing an article that said almost verbatim, networking events suck. However, here's one that's doing it right and pointed to my little tiny little event in Atlanta which then kind of blew it up because I got calls from people all over the world saying, we want to do this in our city. Can you help us? And I started thinking, I need to systemize this and help people do this in other places, which I later did, which helped us grow into other markets.
0: And did you personally go to DC, Nashville, Baltimore, like all of these different markets? and I build did. That or? Well,
1: I did in the sense of I would go to like check out what they were up to, but I would hire a local person on the ground who was more connected with the venues and had influence in their own networks. And was gotcha. able to build it out through our rubric and framework with our backend support.
0: That's awesome. So uh, what started life by design? Like how did you get into that
1: yeah, so uh, about two, mindset? Well, two years ago or so I had this, we are this gonna get a little woo woo sounding, this intuitive knowing where I was like, something is coming to be in my career. The hit basically told me there's a new incarnation coming. And then I was like, well, what is it? And I had to basically take the time to figure out what that was. And at this point I had been eight years into entrepreneurship. A lot of my businesses were pretty steady. I had been able to build teams and take myself out of being the middle person who had to be there for everything to operate. And I was finally able to enjoy the fruits of my labor. And I was like, oh, I kind of want to coast for a minute. But I kind of felt like I couldn't escape this intuition that was saying there's something coming, there's something coming. And so I spent six months doing a lot of different exercises that I created to help people in my network reflect things back to me to help me go deep on some of what was I missing? Like what was it that this was talking about? And after all of it, I came to realize that the number one question that people were coming to me for at that stage of my life was asking me, how do you live the life that you do? Okay, And what they meant by that when I would dig deeper was they would say things like, how do you run multiple companies? How do you travel 50 to 60 percent of the time for pleasure and operate them? How do you be in rooms like Davos, Ted and the U.N.? How do you work with celebrities and influencers? And I did all of it because. I just, it felt like a natural outgrowth and it felt in service and it was never because I was trying to show off or make people feel a certain way. But they would come and basically the through line was that they wanted the flexibility and freedom that I had created in a way that worked for them. And they felt really stuck and unsure of how to get out of the rat race and the wheel that they were on of just living this kind of status quo, check the boxes, hustle, grind, burnout thing that I had been into. I did a lot of that when I started my company in the earlier stages of my career. And I realized I had been spending the last 10 plus years being a deep student of this myself and having mentors and peers and going to conferences and doing the the work to bring it all together. And I thought, well, I'm in a place now where I can share this because I think that's our responsibility as humans is to teach each other and share and be generous with what we have. So I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I said to myself, I'm going to write a book on this. It's going to be a New York Times bestseller. And I kid you not, within a week, I had six literary agents offering me a contract. Wow. And I can tell you from the first go around, that doesn't happen. And so that for me was a cue that I was on the right track and that this is something that people needed, which is how I began to create a ton of content through Forbes and a virtual summit and a series with Deepak Chopra and a number of other things to begin to help people with these tools.
0: When you're talking about mentors and Deepak, how did that happen? How did uh, did that relationship come through Forbes or through your publisher? Nope,
1: through networks. I mean, for me, I'm just such a deep believer that when you give in your networks, when you cultivate them, important to them, when you don't need stuff, that they really show up for you when you do. And so I guess it was a year ago that I decided I was gonna do this virtual summit and the virtual summit was simply an online conference, which I had never been to one, I had certainly never hosted one, but I thought this will be a really accessible way for people to, without cost, access all of these people in one fell swoop over the course of three days. And there were 45 speakers, 44 of whom were friends and mentors of mine, but Deepak was someone whom I really felt like, he had been a mentor from afar for me. What I mean by that is we often know that mentorship and coaching is important, but we often think there has to be this one-on-one intimate relationship when really there's so much content in the world and that if you resonate and gravitate towards someone's, they can become your mentor from afar without even knowing you.
0: Right, right.
1: So with Deepak, he was always this person for me. And I ended up putting it out to people and just saying, hey, does anyone know someone in Deepak's camp that I could talk to you? And I was quickly introduced to his publicist. His publicist was interested, but basically kind of was like, mm, who else is doing it? And I was like, Adam Grant's doing it, and Cat Cole's doing it, and this NBA player's doing it. And they were like, who else is doing it? <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up calling a friend, Rebecca, who I had met about six years before that at a conference in Detroit. And at the time, I had no idea what she did, because the last question I asked people when I meet them is, what do you do? find it limiting and a little bit transactional. So I just got to know her and we became great friends. And over time I came to learn that she had formerly been Deepak's COO. (laughs) So I texted her and I said, listen, Rebecca, I I wanted to give her an out. And I basically said, listen, I'm in this situation. He's on the fence. If you can legitimize me, (laughs) that would be really great. And so she ended up sending me a screenshot shortly after of her text message to him telling him that he should do this. And moments later, I got an email from his publicist saying, Deepak's saying, can you be in New York next week to interview him? Wow. Let me tell you, I had never interviewed someone at that point before. So the first person I ever interviewed was live and in living color with Deepak. And as it went from there, I thought, well, this is the only time we're ever going to meet once in a lifetime. Let me savor this. Until three months later, Chase Bank called and said, we want you to be our on-site correspondent for our conference in Atlanta. And the two people you're going to interview are Cam Newton and Deepak Chopra. (laughs) And I laughed and I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And he remembered me and we had a great Great time. Right. Fast forward, I did three more interviews with him that year and on December 26th of this past year, I emailed and I said, I want to thank you again for our collaborations. I'm here in your court if you need anything in 2019. And that was it. 15 minutes later, he emailed me and he said, I've been thinking to you, I think you can help me. And shortly thereafter, we had come up with this video series that we now release together every week.
0: So how long have you been doing the video series? Since January. Since January. Mm -hmm. Okay. So is it every week?
1: Yep. Every week. Okay.
0: How is that leading into your Life by Design core? I mean, is it it like a live event or how how is it- Oh, I see.
1: So the Life by Design Not By Default summit was what happened last summer, which was a three-day all online conference that brought together these 45 peers and mentors who really helped lay out a framework and tools that are actually- for people. To design their lives and define success for themselves, build a business or a career to integrate and uplift it rather than consume it, as mm-hmm. well as finance it and fund it. And then lastly build the community and the network to support you and open the right doors as well as just make it more fun and less lonely. Right. So that all happened live, but now all that content is available so people can purchase it and watch it sort of like a master's degree in lifestyle design at their own pace whenever they feel like it.
0: And are you continuously updating that course or you can have another version of it or is it just like a one-time thing? That was
1: one time. It's honestly it's it's super, super thorough. There is a lot of stuff in there. And so there's 20 hours of content. And so that is fully there. It's $97, super affordable for what it is. And then I create oodles of free content all the time through high-profile interviews, through my writing for Forbes, through the book that I'll be writing. Well, that won't be free, but through these videos with Deepak. And so there's a lot of that stuff. And then there's other products that pop up here and there. But I really wanted to keep that as this package that was affordable and accessible.
0: Are you finding most of your efforts in social media is what's driving your success right now?
1: It's a combination. I mean, I still believe number one is human relationships in live ways. And I think social media is a tool to continue to manage those and cultivate them and for people to access you who you may never meet. So everything is a balance. I would never put all my eggs in the basket of social media because as we see with Facebook, that changes and they take away your organic reach and it ends up being pay to play and there's so much distraction. And so, you know, I invest a fair amount into my social media strategy and impact in Instagram primarily, as well as a little bit in LinkedIn, because I think people are there and it's important to go where people are. But for me, it's really about where are places where I can own, so to speak, the relationship, like email or my own live events or things like that, where I am not beholden to the whims of a social media platform.
0: Right. Do you find yourself working mostly with people who either want to become a solo entrepreneur or are they business owners or is it across the board?
1: I've been super surprised going into it. My expectation was they'd be millennials and they would want to be entrepreneurs or currently would be entrepreneurs. What I learned through the virtual summit that had 7,000 people attend was I had retirees saying, I waited too long, this is my last chance, I don't want to miss this, to graduates from college, to, you know, I just became a parent, or I want to make a career change, or I sold my first business, or I'm starting my first, I mean, it really was basically anyone in a point of transition or wanting to be at a point of transition who realized there was more for them, and they wanted tools to help them get that.
0: With the new book that's coming out, are you providing a whole system? How do you even figure out what that is?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that there are certain universal things. There's a lot of exercises and ideas like that that I share in there that are really tangible. And I think ultimately for me, it's never about prescribing like this is what it is for you. It's about giving you the tools to decide that for yourself, which takes work. And a lot of people don't want to do that. So there's that. But the way that I structure everything I do is how do I make it both inspirational as well as actionable? Because I think it's important to not just be like, here's the guide. But to show them like through the interviews I do with like Seth Godin and Shaquille O'Neal and Jillian Michaels and all these people, this is how they did the thing that you might admire. And this is really what happened behind the scenes. Or this is what happened in my life because I'm not to the level that they are. And so maybe it's a little more relatable. And then here's the actual tools that I used and they used that worked. So let's pull that out for you. So you could just read it as a narrative. You could go in and do all of the tools. You could do both and whatever works for that person. But at the end of the day, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, right? Yeah. So you can give them everything, but until they actually put it into motion, that's kind of on them. But I can say with certainty that the tools work. You just have to use them.
0: My suspicion has always been that everyone is always struggling on some level, no matter what how, what level they've reached. There are, is always a struggle, so there's always something that's relatable.
1: Right. It's like we're not enlightened. We're all here on this planet to grow and learn. I think that's one of our biggest missions as humans: is to be evolving and growing. Right. And we are not. None of us is immune from that. Not even Deepak.
0: Right. So, how do you define success for yourself?
1: For me, it's a few things. One, it's the freedom of how I spend my time that was always a main driver. And so I was very fortunate to learn about residual income when I was a kid and to build my first business, not even that intentionally around a business that did that. So it gave me a lot of flexibility to choose how I spend it because one of my highest values is learning and growing. And so for me to be in alignment with that, That if I'm learning and growing and then being of service and being in community, as long as my life is aligned with those values, that is success to me.
0: What are some of the typical mistakes that either a new business owner or someone who's making kind of a transition, they're scaling up their business, what are some of the biggest mistakes they make, either financially or just personally, structurally, however, you know, whatever you find, what. A
1: lot, but I was was not immune to this either. I definitely made a lot of these mistakes too. One was the bigger is always better myth. I definitely took that Kool-Aid drink where I felt like, oh, well, the way that we define success as entrepreneurs is we're on the cover of the magazine. We had the big exit. We have more employees. We're making seven and eight and nine figures in revenue. Except <laughs> I didn't stop and think, what does that do to the life that I want to live? Right. And that life started to get completely overwhelmed and burnt out because I'm sitting in this position of I've got all these mouths to feed and there's all this pressure. Mm-hmm. And I put myself in this position and I said, this is what I wanted. And I'm thinking, why am I even doing this? Because I was actually making more money. I was happier. I was healthier when things were smaller and I was still making an impact. Yeah. And I got so. And at that point, too, you also get really removed from the primary thing in your business that you liked doing in the first place. Yeah, if it's creative
0: or whatever, you're no longer creative. Yeah, you just become the
1: operator, making sure it's all working. And so that I think is really critical. I watch. I I use this comparison a lot of my brother, and I hope he never listens to anything I record because I have two (laughs) brothers. So this is not my twin. This is my elder brother, who he used to work for Coke, and he spun out a company out of their innovation department where they seed capitalized him. Now he's on a Series D. He's raised close to 100 million. He's got hundreds of employees and he's got a wife and two kids. And they live in San Francisco, which is already highly competitive and expensive. And I watch his life and I'm like, I wish for him that he had been able to stop before he got on this massive, fast moving train and thought, what's this gonna do to my goals and my values? What's this gonna do to my relationship with my wife and my kids? And to, like, he was a world traveler. They met in Japan. He lived there for a decade. He worked in global marketing for Cook where he was on the road in these cool places all the time that's not his life anymore. And there's many moments where he'll say to me like, you live the best life of anyone I know, which to me is his way of saying like, I'm a little bit envious of the life that you have because he didn't stop and think about it. And now it's a little bit too late to get off the moving train until they have an exit. And so I think for people, it's almost this like sad, cautionary tale of my brother of it can look awesome on paper. I mean, dude's in TechCrunch all the time and he's doing all these things that people would admire and envy. But really, he's like, oh gosh, this is kind of miserable. Right. And it's important to stop before you build for the sake of building and think, how is this going to actually support the thing that I want in my life instead of just being the thing that becomes my life?
0: You obviously have financial stability yourself. You could quit any time still very young though maybe this is a weird question but do you (laughs) think you would ever want to retire at this
1: point no for me retirement in the traditional sense of you stop working and go live on the golf course which my parents did in Panama (laughs) is not ideal I always want to be contributing in some way and that may or may not mean it is financially viable but yeah I'll always be doing something
0: well thank you so much for being on the show thank you Thanks for listening to the show. If you haven't already, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or Google Play or wherever you get your podcast. And also subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can go to websuasion.com, W-E-B-S-U-A-S-I-O-N. Dot com and at the top of our website there there are links to our social media outlets one of those is YouTube and if you subscribe to our channel there you will see snippets of these interviews throughout the week next week on the show we have Casey Calloway of Cruise Planners she's gonna to talk to us about her transition from the film industry to photography to now travel agency and she's gonna share her experience with buying a franchise like Cruise Planners So I hope you join us, and until next time, have a productive work week.